Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Content warning for discussions about violence against trans people. to the beach the other day I saw that with uh, two moms and two babies mm-hmm. and these weren't even my babies but it's just so much work yeah like I just got to hold them and like give them back to their moms but I can't imagine just the constant worry and did I pack everything and are they fed and burped and changed it, it was wild yeah but I'm and glad to be there for a second set of arms you know yeah also Glad that you recognize the gravity of it. Right. Anybody who says it's so easy, I'm just kind of like, are you awake? The pushing of like having babies, especially when you're young, unless you really, you know, it's something you want. I'm not hating on anybody who wants kids young, but the pressure of it, it's not easy. No. But you know what you get? What? Attention on the internet. That's right. Hot moms. (laughs) That's right. And that's what it's all for. Mm Mm-hmm. At the end of the day... Welcome to Someplace Underneath. I'm Natalie Jean. I'm Amber Nelson. We've had a couple wild weeks, Amber. Yes, we have the long stream. Um, we couldn't really be a part of that as Someplace Underneath because it totally was not appropriate. Right, us in bathing suits being like, woo, let's right. talk about missing women and trans yeah. missing people. Let's go. Yeah. Very off guard, off color. A little off putting. Yeah. Um, but our other shows were on it, which was fun. We yeah. The 12 hour Twitch stream. Job. We have our sponge stream every other Wednesday. If anybody wants to look that up on Twitch, you can always watch them afterwards. We talk about a lot of like supplementary stuff about the episodes we've covered. Um, we have also a once a month, um, Twitch stream with our friend Mackenzie, who's a lawyer, and we ask her law questions about some of the stuff we cover on the show because we don't know. We don't know. But I just I go off vibes a lot about what I think should be legal. I just like to oh, go yeah. off like how I feel. And you know what? Honestly, your vibes and your intuition is 
I think that intuition is factual because it's probably your brain that hasn't processed the information. And then your body's like, no, you need to lock your doors. You need to walk faster. This person's right. This person's wrong. Like, you just know. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that, that there's a lot to that. And my intuition is that I deserve to be paid more. So <laughs> there you go. Just putting that out there. My intuition is I like ice cream. I had ice cream for the first time in a while at the beach, and I think I might enjoy it some more. Well, especially at the beach. That's fun. Yeah. Oh, just frolicking. Mm-hmm. Frolicking on a Los Angeles day. I know. I'm sunburnt, but worth it. We're going to be talking about a different shitty L.A. day um, on this episode a little bit later on. I also just wanted to, um, on another note before we begin, that we recorded actually a part of an episode, uh, as well as me posting on my socials about the Carly Russell situation. And we were we had recorded it and all that within the 24 hours of the case going public. Obviously, if you know anything about that story, a lot has changed since then, that first 24 hours. And so we're not going to air it because it's just all outdated information now. But I wanted to say that we will be talking about it on an upcoming episode. Not only what happened regarding that whole situation with Carly Russell, but looking at the statistics of that sort of kidnapping, also comparing it to similar incidents, some of which we've covered on the show and what happens when false accusations are made and how that affects other communities. So Look forward to that. Great. Um, And then, yeah. And also another, just another note. I've mentioned Sarah Turney on this show before. Um, It's really sad and and frustrating to hear, but her father, who almost certainly uh, murdered her half-sister, Alyssa Turney, um, got acquitted because there wasn't enough. Uh, evidence to convict him and so uh, it's a bummer I've mentioned her again on this podcast I highly recommend you go listen to her her, and hear her uh, impact story because she as the half sister uh, of the victim and the daughter of the uh, person who probably did the crime has you know done her own podcast for years now talking about her fight to get her sister justice for what her father did and she's worked tirelessly and just a week uh, about two weeks ago maybe now the DA deemed there was just not enough evidence to prosecute and so her father has effectively gotten away with a murder on top of the years of sexual abuse that he put a child in his care through Um, again I don't speak about her story a lot because I think she can speak on her own but I just wanted to send out my love to her family, and and I think that she's so fucking admirable, um, and I do think she's going to change the face of victims and their advocacy based on her work because of how ballsy she's been about putting her own father in jail. Um, oh, just another little note. We just covered Jay Lee um, in that really sad story, and I... I've been talking about some other hate crimes based on people being closeted. And I just wanted to be clear and put that out there. I don't think all hate crimes against queer people are closeted people. I just want us all to be on that page. I don't think that. But I do think in daily circumstance, that probably was the case. Um, But now we're going to be talking about uh, some other crimes. Um, On this episode, we're actually going to be talking about two separate crimes against trans men. And talk about some of the unique traumas that they have to endure on top of the delay or outright void of justice uh, that is laid down upon who've hurt them. These are two very different circumstances happening far away from each other. And yet they're 
sharing a pool at a party that no one wants to attend, Mm. being judged and mistreated in part due to not being, quote, correct in the eyes of certain people. Um, A lot of times those people having positions of authority who like to wield it as though they're holding everyone hostage with their power. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I just wanted to take to different looks at these two very different cases of trans men. And so let's get into it. I actually today really wanted to talk about a a missing case that is out of Argentina, um, still on theme of of Pride Month, even though it's past June. Doesn't mean we shouldn't stop. No, we have to stop caring about gay people, Natalie. It's done. I apologize for that. (laughs) Um, So this is a a pretty notable case for a number of reasons. One being, of course, that this is a human being who deserves to be found. Um, But this is about a missing man from Argentina who's been, at the time of this recording, um, missing for almost two and a half years. So it's also this story, his story is also addressing some other issues we're facing in solving crimes and criminal justice in general and things that we've talked about that are frustrating on the show before. So... He looks young. He is, yes. He looks baby-faced. At the time of his disappearance in 2021, he was only 21 years old. That is a child. Yeah, so his name is Tuel De La Tour, and he would be now, as we record, 24. But he was, like I said, 21 at the time of his disappearance, just a week or so away from his 22nd birthday. And that picture is him with his father, um, Amber, that you're looking at. Oh, okay. Very supportive family. So Argentina, for a quick refresh for anybody, because sometimes I need that to uh, like keep in my mind, it's the bottom half of South America. Um, we talked a little bit about this area, actually, based on the Gloria Trevi uh, story when they, he was hiding all of the girls. <laughs> but this is something else. And it's so like a very large part of South America and Tuel and his family all hail from San Vicente, Buenos Aires, on the northeast coast of the country. So it's like southern part of South America, northeast part of uh, Argentina. It looks like um, you'd probably get a beach and mountains. Yeah, it's, I'm sure, just absolutely breathtaking there. Um, In March of 2021, Tuel was living with some of his family, as well as his girlfriend, Luciana, and Luciana's little son. At this time, Tuel, so in 2021, he had already come out as a transgendered for a, a while, and he was actually in the process of transitioning into man. Um, he seemed to have a good relationship with his family, including his twin sister and his other siblings. They were, for the most part, seemingly to be very supportive of him. Um, his sister spoke of how he began identifying as a boy at age 13. So this was not a new progress in his life. Mm -hmm. However, as I mentioned on the last episodes, um, as a young trans man, there's a a level of violence that maybe we don't always talk about with trans crimes because a lot of the obviously um, trans women crimes are incredibly violent and vile and they should be acknowledged. Um, But it's probably because Fewer trans men are subjugated to sex work and hypersexualized the way trans women are. So we first think of those, uh, you know, violent sex crimes and stuff against trans women over trans men. Obviously, this is not a competition and trans women face astronomical levels of discrimination and disregard. But trans men face a level of 
a different kind of discrimination and a danger that isn't talked about as much. So a lot of and when we did the last episode, I was talking about how it's actually really difficult to even follow up on a lot of young trans teen boy like missing cases and stuff because of how little coverage they get and also how little support they seem to get from some of their right. I imagine if your family, you know, would just be like, oh, we don't care about you. You probably don't have a lot of photos. Yeah. You probably don't have a lot of like memories. People looking. Yeah. Was that mean what I said? No. Okay. I think we were just talking about it under the banner of like that's how some um, some yeah. of them are treated. So like a trans man, what like discrimination did they face specifically that's them? Well, so this is a sweeping generalization. It's not true for every trans person, of course, but there are a, f- a much bigger percentage of trans women who are sex workers and who are sexualized. And so they are seen in this view I think because it's less likely for trans men to be, how do I put this, less likely to be showing a lot of skin, um, being seen as sexual. A lot of times trans men are more, they look more typically masculine. So you don't think about sex crimes with them. You don't think, oh, those are people who are suffering from discrimination in the same way because they're not dressed in more skin showing kind of clothes. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of like, and I bet also with trans women, that a man that would commit violent crime is like, oh, this is a woman that I could like, Mm. excuse my language, beat up a little bit more. Right. You know, take it like a man. It's almost like social. Well, and I think in certain ways it's socially acceptable to, if somebody looks feminine to that people are more expecting that to be an abused person, which is a really fucked up thing to say. Um, but unfortunately, trans men also face this level of violence in a lot of ways. It's just not always through sex work, and right. stuff like that. They're probably just like not legitimized, right? In a lot of ways. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Um, and of course, I can only speak from my, my straight woman mouth. Mm-hmm. But this is from what I'm reading um, f- when people write about from their own community and like stuff that I'm consuming. Right. So, um, so a lot of articles talking about Tuel's story are highlighting how this story is being like a reckoning for Argentina about how they handle LGBTQ plus people and their their missing cases and and like crimes against them. So there is this like big amount of activism that has come come around this story and i think that's true but i also think this is an across the board reckoning thing that everybody not even just in argentina but all over we need to address as violence against trans men is also like very common like more common than we acknowledge so tuel he was a really young guy he still is he's 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 would be 24 now. He has he's actively missing. I never want to put him in a an already deceased position. So as far as we know, he is 24 years old somewhere. Um, and in 2021, he was 21 years old, and so he was still figuring out a lot about what he was going to do with his life. And at that moment in time, Twell was doing a lot of odd jobs for work, taking temp jobs. Um, you know, stuff that you can kind of go off and on like you know for example the thing that he was going to he thought he was about to do was a serving job right so that's what you do at 21 or just like yeah. come work in this office for a week like pack up the boxes right we'll give you a, a couple hundred bucks right 
So some accounts have also alleged that the odd jobs was also partially due to discrimination in his community, though Argentina is more progressive in some ways than other areas of South America. There have been some people in that in his world who have said it was it's harder as a trans man for him to be accepted by certain positions or like people won't give him full time work. Right. Like I bet it'd be hard to get like a blue collar job. Yeah. Outside where you would get paid a lot. I mean, they those blue collar right. workers get paid a lot. Those masculine guys. But if you find out they're trans, you'd be like, right. nah, yeah, we'll put you inside. Right. And so that could also be partially why. Um, but on the evening of March 11th, 2021, this is also during one of the like the peaks of COVID, which is another reason day laboring might be a been a thing. Um, he left his house that day, March 11th, to meet a man named Luis Alberto Ramos uh, about an alleged job where Tuel would be waitering, waiting, waitering. Sure, like a cater waiter. Yeah, for a birthday party. It appears, however. Now we know more that that was not a real gig that existed. Fuck. Did he like find, do they have Craigslist in Argentina? No, I How think get this? They, it's never been fully clear in any of the articles that I've been able to find on it. But I think that they were acquaintances. So he perhaps met Luis wherever. He could have met him at a bar. We yeah. don't really know. But basically, Luis said that um, I have this gig that you want to come like to this place I can like hook you up with a serving job for this thing. Okay, yeah, seems like fast, easy money. Yeah. Um, so all his family knows is that he left his home that day, March 11, 2021. And then the next morning on March 12th, when Luciano, his girlfriend, woke up, she became concerned because even though he wasn't home, it wasn't necessarily that was that concerning. It's that he didn't... Re- Sent her any message because this party was supposed to be maybe a late night thing. This like this meeting could have gone on for a long time. So when she woke up, she was more concerned that he hadn't been able to answer his like there was no text. He was not responding on WhatsApp. There was no message being like, hey, babe. Yeah, that's weird. You're on your phone. Yeah. So, yeah, no messages. And she begins to try him on all of the different apps to no avail. Soon she starts reaching out to his family members. She tries his father and then reaches out to some of his sisters. And no one has heard or seen him, heard from or seen him since the evening of March 11th. So he was still in close contact with a lot of his relatives, hadn't reached out to anybody. The family realized at that point that they may have a problem. It's unclear also how familiar the family was with Luis Alberto Ramos. They may not have known him at all. When the family got the police involved, this guy, Luis, he denied even knowing who Tuel was. However, the police were able to use Tuel's cell phone data as well as Luis's cell phone data to trace him to where Ramos, so Luis lived. So this place that he was... Oh, sorry. So the guy's just like, I never knew him. Mm. That's just fishy because everybody else is like, no, he was going over to a like cater waiter at a birthday party at your house. And, I, I think this guy fucking did it. Well, and also there there ends up being quite a bit of evidence. So first off, you got to get off the top of the bat. This guy, Luis, is a liar from get go. Whoa. No birthday party. No party. No job. Yeah. So basically that day. Whatever happened that day on March 11th, they know that 
Tuel's cell phone data was traced to where Ramos lived, where he was supposed to go meet him. Then after all of the I'm going to go over the timeline as well. But then after the police like found enough stuff and they decided to do all the raids and all this stuff, they found a photo of the two of them together from that night that Louise had taken on his phone. Oh, my God. What was it like smiling or were they like sad? You'll see it in a second, Amber. It's in the it's in our script here. Um, And I will post it on on socials as well. But the photo is a picture of Tuel, this gentleman, Luis Ramos, and another man whose name is Alfredo Montez. So this is a third guy here. Yes. Oh, this is scary. He's like, who the fuck are you? Yeah. Is it your birthday? (laughs) Yeah. So this picture that Amber's looking at, I'm going to post it on socials. It's frustrating because it's obviously a picture from a newspaper of the photo, and I'm not sure that the police have ever actually released the original file that they found. I've not found it anywhere. However, they have released the photo via a newspaper article, and this is the photo that we all are looking at and what I will, I'll post up. I'll be honest with you, this Alfredo Montes guy looks like a bad mamba jamba. Like, he looks like the kind of guy that if you sat down in a bar next to me, I would get up and leave. Well, you wouldn't be incorrect because, as we'll get into, it seems as like he has um, sexual abuse background. It's in the eyes. It's always in the eyes, Natalie. They look dead. Yeah. So before we go through the entire timeline, this here is photo evidence of them being together that evening. And he's like, I don't know him. Mm -hmm. This, damn. Yeah. Uh, in the in the picture, they are all seated at Louise's house that evening, March 11th. And you can see Louise has his shirt off and some tattoos on his chest are showing. And he's making sort of a goofy duck lip face. Yeah, like, hey, like that. Like sort of like a uh, what's up yeah. face. And the man in the middle, who is Alfredo Montez, who's also been charged has his chin sort of propped on his hands. Like, what would you call like that Like he's position? making a business deal or he's yeah. thinking about a deal. Yeah, it's sort of like a mobster-y kind of like his hands are up by his face and he's like resting his chin on his hands and he does not look particularly happy. No, and then the guy, he has his face covered. It's like he's embarrassed. So Tuel is the guy on the left, the one who is missing. We don't know what was happening in the second. It does look like it's sort of a candid photo, um, but what is happening with Tuel is it's unclear because his face, uh, his hand is sort of held up almost like he's itching his nose. Yeah. And the brim of his cap is shrouding his eyes in shadow. So it looks like you're embarrassed or you don't know. Or yeah, he, you don't know. it could have been a, a weird embarrassing thing or it could have just been like Luis gave him no warning and was just like, what's up? And he just like pulled his phone out like he would at a bar and he was in the middle of like scratching his nose. It's hard to say. Um, in general, it's not a picture that you would see that would be of interest if you didn't know there was a missing person in it. It doesn't look like an outstanding photo. It just looks like a trio of bros sitting around a table hanging out. Yeah. Is this from that night? Yes. It's from that night. It looks like they're at a bar. It's his house. It's it's, He kind of decorated his house like a, like, Probably. Maybe he has like a den or something. Yeah. Because it's Um, got like a tablecloth and stuff on there. Okay. Yeah, for sure. No, I see what you're saying, but it, it, uh, that's at his home. Um, I don't like these two guys at all, Natalie. Yeah, but you know, like if I if we didn't if you didn't know the context, you wouldn't think anything about this picture. Probably, yeah. you're just like, oh, there's some dudes. 
Um, there's nothing immediately alarming in it. When the cops raid Louise's house on March 16th, so five days after people last see Tuel, it's five days later, they find Tuel's phone and it has been burned. No. Yeah. So Ramos himself, that's Louise. Louise Ramos himself, however, was not in the house. It took them another seven days to find him. And when they did, they discovered he had erased all the data from his phone and had shaved his head. So he's guilty. He knows it. And seven days is enough. You can like burn off your fingertips. You can go run. Yeah. So um, regardless of what happened and what Luis Ramos's intentions were that day. I'm getting the sense that he is not a genius. However, like he's not a, like a brilliant th- criminal here. It's not a criminal mind that we should study. Yeah. It, he it, didn't think about this beforehand, n- it seems. And that's very much a question that I wish we had an answer to. And maybe we will someday, whether it was premeditated, whether they got drunk and something they they did something bad and then they freaked out do you think maybe they knew this was a trans man and then they found out like oh my god you were like you're trans that means we could like abuse you it's hard to say because it has now this is still awaiting trial right and it has now been classified as a hate crime even though they don't have a confession from them and so we'll get into a little bit more about that here in a minute but it's hard to know whether or not Louise brought Tuel there under the premise knowing he was a trans man or if he discovered at some point he was a trans man. It's really hard to tell. Um, but I think either are completely plausible as, as, with the information that I've been able to find. And the family doesn't seem to know either. Wow. So, if you're the kind of person that burns a phone instead of like throwing it off a bridge, that just seems like violent you know, you, you seem like a crazy person. For sure. And also not a genius. Right. Likely. Um, so that March 11th is the last day he's seen the phone data that they traced because even though they didn't have the phone, you know, nowadays somebody goes missing. If their if their location's not turned off, they can trace exactly where you were, which is how they found his phone in the first place. And... They were able to acknowledge that his phone was active that night, uh, March 11th, and the last activity that they could find was 12.38 a.m. that morning. So essentially still the night of March 11th, but it is now March 12th. That's not that late for partying time. I imagine Argentines, they go to like 4 a.m. No, I mean, that's like a normal, yeah. But from that point on, it's it's radio silence. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing else that they found movement wise action wise he the phone wasn't used anymore at that after that point did they see what he did at 12 30 like to make a phone call or if, if they did it was not relevant enough to tell the media uh or if it was handled poorly which is another way we can look at this perhaps yeah. if it wasn't handled um efficiently because of perhaps discrimination but we'll get into that in a second Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and 
producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Ross has all the spring deals you want, so you can say yes to more looks for you and your budget. Tube tops for less? Yes. Dad shorts for the weekend? Yes. Mini skirts for less than online? That's a yes for you and your bank account. Find your certified yes for me moment and save 20 to 60% off department store prices every day at Ross. Hurry in for spring deals today. Items and styles vary by store. Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. So also in this, on this, uh, whenever the police finally raided the house and found the phone, they also found a jacket that was, uh, I believe, also burned. And Tuel's family was able to confirm, though, that it was his jacket. Damn, all this burning? This is like a violent, violent, emotional person. It's the burning act. Yeah. It's, you could have buried the jacket. You could have, like, thrown it off a river. Burn it? It's really tough to figure out what the thought process was because they will not fess to any of it they will not cop to anything that happened because they're just like i don't even know him and they're like he was literally at your house you dude. took a picture of him yeah on your phone and oh. then it was uploaded to the cloud oh shit my bad oh my bad and it's not even he couldn't even play it off like that was a big party it's just three of them in a room it's not like he was like oh there's so many people i guess he was here i didn't know he took a selfie of him that night and then proceeded to be like well, i don't know who that guy is and then they're like we have a picture Oh, oh, yeah. Mm. I don't know. I never saw him. You burned his phone. It's yeah. in your house. What? Yeah. What? Oh, weird. Um, So they are able to arrest Luis and his friend Alfreno pretty quickly uh, for the lying aspect of yeah, it. Yeah, arrest him for lying. Arrest him for being ugly, too. Yeah, for being ugly. Um. They, I think they considered it a. It was sort of a um, a charge of a cover up or something. Like they had enough evidence to to say you lied to us. He was clearly here. Now you're going to go to jail. Um, so that happened on the 23rd. So from ele- from the 11th until the 23rd, Luis was like basically on the run. They caught him, and then just five days later, they ended up arresting Alfreno either because of something. That Luis said, or they had ev- ev- they found or probably from the photo. They were yeah. probably able to, to go like he was also there. We need to take him in. Um, both refused to confess anything. I'm getting a lot of this timeline, by the way, from pagina12.com. Uh, also, should mention they they confiscated when the cops did this raid. They confiscated 
two open condom wrappers at Luis's home. Fuck. Though I've not found anything saying anywhere that they found the condoms connected to those wrappers or any DNA linked to 2L on them. So they did see two open condoms, condom wrappers, but no condoms were found. Did they burn the condoms? Maybe just burning, like burning tires in the backyard. Just what? I think you just uh, set stuff on fire. That's how you get rid of it. That's right. right. Uh, So, like I had mentioned, Luis at first tried to tell them he didn't know Tuel at all. I don't know that guy up until the photo and the belonging surfaced. Luis, by the way, has a criminal history, though none of the details have ever been um, found anywhere that I could I could see. What, so whether those crimes were violence or not, I don't know. Alfredo, who was the friend, he his job is he was like a scrap yard dealer guy. He was a scrap dealer. Okay. That makes, that's not like a, that's not a slang. It's just literally he's worked in a junk like I a know junker. some people that do that. Like you yeah. can sell metal and stuff and get a little money back. Yeah. So he did that. But however, there are several more updated articles from, you know, this year when there's more stuff, evidence has been found that this, that old scrappy here has a history of sexual abuse. No. Um. So this comes from a legitimate, like a bunch of legitimate articles, but I they haven't listed where the source material is coming from, so I'm just putting that caveat on it. A lot of reputable journalists have said that he has sexual abuse charges, but I don't know where the source of that is. Okay, if there are police public records, I can't read them. Everything's in Spanish. Um, as I say, they refuse to cooperate. The, both men have refused to cooperate, and so there's never been any closure for the family. For one thing. Um, one of the reasons we know about this case at all is because of the trans activists in Argentina. This is a, very similar to what was happening happening with Jay Lee. We might have not had any knowledge that this that that disappearance happened if not for Jay Lee's community. Uh, yeah, and the family. And the family. And same thing with Tuel. Tuel's family was very supportive and has also been very active in the search. Um, I hate it when criminals, I mean, we don't know if they did it. I think they did. But I hate it when they're like, don't cooperate. At least be like, I didn't do it. No, you got the wrong guy. But just to sit there and be like, I don't know. I don't know him. Yeah. It's like, I want to slap him. Yeah. Just like a, like a, a I don't, blah, I don't know. I'm going to guess, me. I'm going to guess you're not the first woman who's wanted to slap that man. Right. So. It was kind of like, on a, I was on the bus the other day and it was full and this guy was just taking up two seats and then people were like, man, like move your back, move your back. He's like, I don't want to. Oh. I don't want it. It's like that attitude. Ugh. I don't know him. I don't want it. Like, slap him. Ugh. Well, he's in jail, so. Good. That's, you know. You could try to go visit him in Argentina. Slap him myself? Slap him. And so, Tuel's family is hurt and saddened by how many of the original news reports not only misidentified Tuel, but also did a hefty dose of victim blaming. So said stuff like, are you sure he wasn't going there to do a sex deal with Louise? No, but, he has a girlfriend. Yeah. But also misgendering him uh, for no reason. He has come out as trans. He, he's identified as a boy since he was a child. And so, but they're still obsessed with knowing what the genitals are underneath, even though regardless of the fact like Tuel was starting the transition process anyway, it doesn't matter why do you care if this person has identified as a boy and that is who he is? Why do you need to try to sh- to like 
I don't know, shame them or like re-victimize them on the news. It doesn't do anything. You're not helping. No. This is a missing person. Why do you care what their genitals look like? You're fucking weirdos. And when you misdo it, you probably like can't find them. Exactly. So to us, family is was like, you know, it was really hard for them. Um, and then saying stuff like, are you sure that he wasn't just in a relationship with Louise? Just completely ignoring that Tuel was in a committed relationship with his girlfriend and literally, literally raising her son with her. So just the idea, oh, he's trans. He must clearly be into deviant behavior. So this is probably some weird sex thing he was going to do. Regardless, even if it was a sex thing, which there's no evidence of, why are you acting like... Well, I mean, what do you think is going to happen? Right. You, know? you can also just do a sex thing, and that's fine. You yeah. don't have to disappear the person. And also, there's no evidence that he was going to do a, quote, sex thing. Yeah. Um, He's in, like, the, I mean, the, in the outfit itself, he's in, like, a, a polo shirt and a baseball hat. Well, that's why... That's not I, a sex thing outfit. You got to go, like, a little more, you know... But this is sort of what we were talking about at the beginning... Because trans men are more likely to be covered up, they don't act like sexual violence happens to them, which is very untrue. So this is sort of why I want to talk about this. Um, Also, it's just so there's no way that this career criminal could have lured him out under false pretenses. That's a crazy concept, right? It had to be something he did to deserve this. Beyond that, um, there was a concerted effort of what we see so often in these cases of missing people who may be considered less than or less missing, less than desirable, dismissing them as dead when there's not really any evidence of that. So it, it really hurts to read these things over and over because, yes, after the police did a forensic sweep in Louise's house, they found two droplets of blood that came back as matching to Tuell's family's DNA. So almost 100% Tuell's blood. But it was a minute amount. So though it further proves he was there and that something bad happened, probably, those tiny droplets do not equal a dead body. What if those scumbags hurt him and sold him into slavery? That is not an out-of-the-question thing that could have happened. Fortunately, I guess if you want to call it a silver lining, um, the media's mishandling of this case drew the attention of activists. And there have been more than one victim advocate pushing to consider 2L that 2L may be alive somewhere um, because of how quickly in these kind of cases the police want to close it. Yeah. Um, Get these like activists out of here. Yeah. And also... This person led a, quote, risky lifestyle, they're probably dead, kind of mentality. Um, We saw this, not for the same, in the same exact context, but when we, in in season two, we covered Zion Foster is one I always think of immediately because it was the, the fact that the, the police just took her cousin's word for it, that she just died suddenly at his house and then he just took her body somewhere yeah there's no body and they they just sort of accepted that story is this the one where he said oh i put her in a dumpster but mm -hmm. they checked all the dumpsters and there's no body like dumpsters have a place they go to you can check yeah no that's what happened and they had uh, this is from early in season two if you guys want to go back and, and listen to zion foster's story again but she it was one of the first ones we covered where i was so confused 
why they acted like this story was just enough to stop because they did have a huge public outreach. There, people were searching like Her mother. dumps, yeah, for forever after he he quote unquote confessed to just freaking out and and putting her body in a dumpster. Um, they never found any evidence of her anywhere. Damn, that's and, the one where she could still be alive somewhere. Yes, and and also it's such a bizarre acceptance of this healthy. I think she was 20. Oh, she smoked weed and died, yeah. right? What did, like, my mom write this story? I know. She smoked weed and died, And then Amber. she died. And that's what he said as a confession, and they just accepted it. Wow. Because I don't think they gave a shit. And she's a beautiful young woman. She could absolutely be somewhere right now. Yeah, and, and so that was one of the first ones that I was perplexed by. And this was happening again here in this, in this story. Um, and fortunately, again, it's not a really a a positive but because the media mishandled the case and the police were being a little dismissive it drew the attention of activists and the advocates around Tuel uh really wanted to make it clear that they were telling the public there is no evidence that Tuel is dead so there are two activist lawyers named Vanessa Vargas and Marcella Mancini and they're part of this is very poorly translated because this is all from translation. So I don't think this is the correct name for what they call their organization. But Translesbofeminist Abojix Collective. So Translesbofeminist. Yeah. I mean, it's fun, but I don't think that that's appropriately translated. Right. Um, but these two lawyers... They are a part of this collective, and they have been re- representing Tuel's father. Um, and this is an excerpt from LaNacion.com. We are interested in investigating all the possibilities, one of the lawyers told Rolling Stone a few days after the conference. Is there a possibility that Tuel is alive? Yes, it exists, because there is nothing in the file that says for certain the opposite. Two drops of blood were found with DNA compatible with Tuel's relatives at Ramos's house. But that may have been a product of anything, a blow, a trumpet, some accidental cut, a lot of things. That proves that Tuel was there and proves that Ramos and Montez lied, but doesn't prove Tuel dead. So, Ugh. yeah, some of that was a little bit loose translation because I'm not sure what a trumpet uh, means there. That's right, but, but I think we get it. Yeah, you get the you get the idea. They're saying this shows that he was there. But he's not. Then where's the body? There's no... Just because you found blood doesn't mean that this is a dead person. There's a lot of blood in us. And yeah. And so I, I really appreciate them stepping in and being a part of the family's advocacy group because... I think, uh, like a lot, I remember with Zion Foster, I felt frustrated because, not at, not at her mom, but I felt frustrated because her mom, what was she supposed to do but accept what the law was telling her? Why would she know that to even consider, like, these lawyers coming forward and being like, don't write off your son as dead because they want you to. And Yeah, just like open and shut, yeah. on to the next one. Yeah. So... And it's like, thank you. Why is this not explored more often? And for obvious reasons, probably it takes a lot of resources and sometimes police work is not done very well. And that's even having a family that cares and loves you. Yeah, for sure. Needing to have the advocates around you. And yeah. So for months following the disappearance, there was massive search efforts that took place thanks to Tuel's family and trans activists. But no other evidence of 
to well being either alive or dead appeared in that time. And this is one of the elements I wanted to talk about today. There is an org in Argentina called the Coordinated Actions Against Trafficking, uh, which was founded by an anthropologist named Celeste Parasino in 2012. Under this org, she called for forensic anthropologists, archaeologists, lawyers, and communicators to investigate disappearances linked to crimes of trafficking in persons. But over the years, Parisono and his colleagues noticed that many of the cases in which they intervened had not so much to do with trafficking, but with other forms of violence in democracy. They were femicide, transfemicide, enforced disappearances, That's why in 2018, ACCT became the Collective of Intervention Against Violence. Yeah. So because of the translation, again, Celeste is a a woman. um, They... The, the way that it's translated in English, it says his, but I think they meant it's hers. A, it's a lady. Yeah, it's like, it sounds like a feminine name. Um, enforced disappearances. That sounds very scary. Yeah, but I think that those are not that uncommon in certain circumstances. I so, wonder how many people we see day to day, like the child on the side of the road or mm-hmm. somebody I'm walking by on the street that's just kind of like sitting there or somebody at the bus. Maybe the guy with the piece of shit that wouldn't move his legs. Is he like an enforced disappearance person? Yeah, I you know. Mean, yeah. And they just don't know. They don't know how to reach out for help. Maybe, you know, you know, you don't know. And and there there's other examples that because we were talking about this woman and her coalition and this organization, which is such a great thing to put onto these missing cases. Um, they were talking about different scenarios in which there people disappeared under circumstances where people wanted to just write them off or say that like oh they were drug addicts they just disappeared and like they were like no there's all this stuff that the a b c d e f could have happened but you're not exploring any of those because it's not like directly forensic evidence direct confessions and it seems like all detective work should involve what they're doing with this organization but it doesn't and so you know, that's what we keep questioning on these episodes about people who are just deemed dead. And it just it seems like in this case, which I'm so thankful that, that they're being involved with two case, but it seems like in Zion Foster's case, they could have used an organization like this where I wasn't there for Zion's, uh, you know, I'm only I'm reading I'm armchair reading this entire case. But it felt like they an awful lot like her family could have used this sort of activism. Yeah. So the the collective of intervention against violence, which is what you just described, Amber, worked in part with the office of the procurator for trafficking and exploitations of persons. I know this is a lot of acronyms and in, in offices, but this is like all of these moving parts who because of the activism of because of how fucking inadequate the search for 2L was now all of these people got involved which is good right it's like a grassroots organization with people right yeah which is good yes and so they those those groups have come together and that you they use a method that seems like it should just be standard practice where they treat the case as if the person is alive and run different hypotheses different scenarios and versions of what could have happened based not only on forensic evidence or confession, but how psychological and sociological elements could have played a part, including like the detective work around how the three men were connected and different theories of what could have happened between them that day that could have ended it like this. I think if you 
find out how those two men were friends that would open up the case? Like, did they work together in the metal junkyard? Did they meet at a bar, you know? Which you would think would, would just be, oh, you think that's how all missing cases are handled, but that's not always true. And and so all of these like, activists and, and coalitions and organizations have to get involved. And the woman who started all of that, Celeste, she goes on to say... We raise different scenarios because we believe that all investigative measures must be exhausted. So when you were describing her her coordinated actions against trafficking uh, group, Amber, just um, a few minutes ago, she was calling you know, anthropologists, archaeologists, lawyers, all kinds of different people to contribute to these like almost walking through a bunch of different situations that could have happened. And I'm guessing this is like an anthropologist's second job, third job. They probably work somewhere and then they clock out and then they work extra for these cases. I mean, it's quite possible. I'm sure they're not making a bunch of fucking money off of it. Um, So and, and that just seems so important. And I wish that that was something that was more common in these cases. Uh, instead of like looking at, for example, with Tuel, statistically, uh, we can see that a person in this situation is probably deceased or stereotyping trans people and saying, well, they put themselves in this weird situation. They probably are, you know, th- this is not there's no point in looking anymore. They're they're probably dead. Um, that just sounds like if someone was saying that. It would mean to me be like, oh, you should leave your job. Right. Like, you right. stopped caring. You don't care anymore. Totally. If no. I just showed up and I was just like, I don't know, Natalie, whatever the fuck you want to talk about, uh, then yeah. I should not be doing this anymore. Probably. <laughs> um, though we aren't privy to all of this organization's work on 2L's case, they do, they have over these couple of years believed and decided that it was most likely a gender-based violence and a hate crime, what happened that night. Both Louise and Alfredo are still being held in jail under crimes related to the cover-up, and they still refuse to speak two years after the crime. Fuck them. I bet they think, like, oh, if I just keep my mouth shut, I'll be out next year. Who cares? In You know, maybe they... they I think in, in certain circumstances they wouldn't even be wrong, but... Thankfully, there's so many people fighting for Tuel at this point that I don't, I hope, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, they are going to be facing a trial, but and I believe it won't be that long from now, but it's not clear. I don't know that they've even set a date. Um, for what it's worth, Tuel's father, who speaks to the media quite frequently, uh, believes that there is a corrupt cop who's connected to the two men as well as a human trafficking network. Holy shit. So it's like calls coming from inside the house. And I, I'm i putting that out there, but I'm also saying whether this comes from real evidence or he is just a grieving father listening to lots of random people's opinions, it's not clear. Maybe that's why the police are a little bit like open and shut case. I don't know. Because do you think sometimes, and this could be anywhere in the world, mm-hmm. that they are connected to human trafficking rings? Well, of course. I mean, you know, that that is everywhere. There's so many cases that we could cover that are true that... Police are in bed with people who hurt people. That's something that happens everywhere. And certainly that can happen in Argentina. Like that's not out of the realm of reality, certainly. But I don't know if his beliefs come from real evidence or not. Oh, right. He might just be very upset. Understandably. Understandably. And of course, this has, you know, ripped their family apart. uh, But they all still really um, fight 
to keep Tuol's name out there. Also, thankfully, because of the activists, they're still they did another um, like art walk sort of thing this year on the anniversary. And hopefully there will be some actual justice for this, that these men will never get out of jail. And like for however they make it happen, either they figure it out based on all of these moving parts, like working out what happened that night or if these men for some reason develop like a conscience or like they get a deal Tell the family what happened to him. And if he's still out there somewhere, making sure that that makes sure that the people can still like police can still be looking for him. Right. And sometimes like we've discussed this on the show, human trafficking isn't necessarily I'm chained to the bed. Mm -hmm. You could be like out in the streets working. You could be next like the town over Mm -hmm. and, you know, still work in the streets, maybe like doing sex work or maybe even just, you know, collecting cans. Yeah. No, it's. Like you just said, when we were covering, uh, I believe that was all all the way back in the first season, the 23 Pipeline, um, which is a place in in southern Ohio where there's a huge opioid. There's been a huge opioid crisis, but the sex women are sex trafficked there constantly. And they uh, a lot of times end up being like a town over. Just a town over. And it's like a big highway that runs through there, right? Yeah, that's why they call it the 23 pipeline. So you can just be like, we're in Ohio. Oops, no, we're in Philly. Yeah, so where where that is 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 basically on the the line from around like Michigan and Kentucky and all these like different states. So you cross state lines too. But also, like you said, it's a prison of the mind a lot of the time. So a lot of those women who were taken... 10 miles from their home, they don't feel like they can leave their situation. And so I don't want Tuel to be in that situation, but I would like for Tuel to be alive. So if that's the case, no matter whether it's a confession because they're getting a deal or if all of these activists figure out what happened that day, we hope that it, it, it results in Tuel being found alive. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Ross has all the spring deals you want, so you can say yes to more looks for you and your budget. Two tops for less? Yes. Dad shorts for the weekend? Yes. Mini skirts for less than online? That's a yes for you and your bank account. Find your certified yes for me moment and save 20 to 60% off department store prices every day at Ross. Hurry in for spring deals today. Items and styles vary by store. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am on how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. 
If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. I've been noticing lately on Twitter, and Twitter's kind of like a microcosm of language and ideas, that there there's new, this new resurgence of this this sort of graph of hierarchy mm-hmm. of who is at the top. And it's all just made up, of course. And if you ascribe, if you're not involved, you're like, I don't want to be in this. Or if you're lower on the pole, there's a lot of shame. Mm. There's a lot of shame involved. And I'm like, who died and made you king shit? Like, who made these rules? No, I mean, nobody really. They just sort of, it, it sort of just went the person who was the loudest and the most, like, bullheaded. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, this, this one, I'm it. Yeah. Um, so I think we're trying to undo that a little bit in modern society, hopefully over mm, probably many de- generations. But um, I think maybe that's just moving beyond our, our cave selves where the person who just could, like, hit the person on the head the hardest was right. the winner. Um, I don't know. Maybe we can move past that. Or <laughs> the next person we're going to talk about uh, actually is a local, um, somebody whose attack has been covered in recent weeks. But the incident actually occurred February, February, February 10th of this year, 2023. It's not easy to say February when you're looking at the word for me. February? February. Because there's that extra R in there. Yeah. But I don't say it unless I'm looking at the word. Right. February. (laughs) Um, So this is a story about a a young guy named Emmett Brock. Um, And I think if not for Emmett's own determination, this would have been really buried, uh, which just makes you ponder how many of these similar types of stories happen with the police. Because, yes, this involves police brutality. And takes place in Los Angeles. Um, I was watching a journalist just recently when I was working on this, covering the incidents. And as they were wrapping up the segment they were doing, they were marveling over how this could happen in Los Angeles County. Basically saying, this isn't Alabama, this isn't Mississippi. And, and while I understood what they meant in that statement, which is that they were partially like, you know, there, an attempt to hurt and disrespect a trans person happen and you go, well, you'd expect that to happen out in the country. Right. And that's um, also a dig on Alabama and Mississippi. And as much as like they have their faults, I don't want to consider one state better than the other. You know? Sure. Yes. Especially because it's not the citizen's fault. Right. There's shitty things happening necessarily. So, um, and I, by the way, I respect this journalist I was watching, but this is beyond just hurting and disrespecting a trans person. This is a story of police corruption almost more than anything else. Um, And I always really, really try to be reasonable in looking at these stories, especially when heightened emotions are involved. For example, a crime against an LGBTQIA plus person can make people really riled up. And it's not because I don't believe the stories, but I'm just trying to get the the most realistic look of the situation. And and I enjoy a cop roast as much as the next person. Um, I want to see it as clearly as possible. So this can't be described, this instance with Emmett Brock, can't be described to me in any way other than police corruption. And 
it's really a great PowerPoint of why and how the whole system is really broken. Mm. Um, or I guess was never not broken in the first place. I don't know. The journalist saying, I can't believe this happened in L.A. County meant because of the implications of discrimination. But they know as well as you know and as well as I know that L.A. County police have some of the worst criminals and gangs inside of their force of the entire country, perhaps only matched by New York City. This is not conspiracy. This has been, uh, you know, this has been followed by journalists and people who actually have the qualifications to study this for a long time. They exist. There's actually people who ran on saying they were going to disband the gangs in the, you know, Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. There's also more Klan's groups in uh, California than any other state. For sure. And you would think, not precious California. But yeah. No, it's actually very a red state. Yeah. And all up the West Coast, too, we think of you know Portland and Seattle, the artists and the hippies. It's Mm-mm. where a lot of really dangerous, like racist people live in the force. <laughs> so inside of these these clubs, I guess you would call them really dumb angry, powerful people who are majority men. I'm sorry, fellas, but that's the reality. Um, Who, and I can't put this any better, seem to get off on hurting people, and we uh, pay them by our tax dollars to do so. Some of them are professional murderers. Like, I don't really know what else to say. I don't think every person who becomes a cop is bad or evil. But I do think those who are trying to be civil servants and good people and ignore What's happening with their colleagues are culpable, in my shitty little meaningless opinion. You have a big opinion, Natalie. I do have a big opinion. That's true. It's, <laughs> sh- it's a shitty, big, meaningless opinion. <laughs> um, so this is a long intro. But while Tuel is a tangibly missing person, I wanted to talk about Emmett Brock because his story obviously deserves to be told, but also is representing a much bigger problem that is still really not being addressed that does affect everyone. <laughs> um, so let's just get into what happened. So on February 10th, 2023, a 23-year-old trans man, a teacher, a grad student, was followed by a cop who did not have his lights on for an extended period of time and then eventually was thrown face first into concrete when both parties stopped at a 7-Eleven parking lot. What? The video footage is pretty awful. Do you want to look at it real quick, Amber? (coughs) Sorry. (coughs) Let me upload the video. If you go to about 39 seconds in. Oh, it already has warning things. And it's like, this video is graphic. Yeah, which is just ironic. It's like showing a cop doing violence. And YouTube's like, are you sure? (laughs) But we're still supposed to act like it's normal. This is audio um, depicting graphic violence for the next minute. So if you'd like to skip ahead, just skip ahead. 60 seconds. Okay, so the cop is pulling right behind them. I would be so scared. Getting out of the car. I just stopped you. No, you didn't. And then just wham. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, Natalie. There were no lights. There was no warning. The cop just ran up and body slammed them. Holy shit! It wasn't even like hands up. It was just yeah. No, we'll talk about it. How it's it's even worse. Like 
this whole thing is, I mean, just watching that video alone is really distressing. And it's on concrete. Do you yeah. know how much, like, how many broken bones that would be? Yeah. And I think maybe, did you, did you maybe the um, audio go down? Do you want me to turn the audio on? Well, it only just because it does apply. Um, They're saying, help, help, what the fuck? My God. So the audio is like very upsetting. Um, we'll talk a little bit, uh, break down a little bit more of what is being said in that audio, probably next episode. But uh, after all of this happened, the thing you just watched, Emmett was then taken into custody, which we'll again talk about later. Now, according to both the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department and the offending officer, Deputy Joseph Benza III. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I laughed at that name. <laughs> it sounds very, it sounds very um, like pompous. Joseph kinda. Benza III. There yes. were two other before you. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. So according to them, this was a simple case of resisting arrest, and the department found the deputy not guilty of excessive force. What? There were no lights. There was no hands up. It's worse than that, too. It's on camera. So in other words, they investigated themselves and found themselves to be awesome. Okay. Yeah. Great. There's only 14 to 16 to 25 things wrong with that assessment. How How did this all start? How did we end up in this parking lot? Well, according to Emmett... When he was on his drive home from the school that he teaches, I believe he's a substitute teacher at this school um, in this area around Whittier. Whittier is one of um, the sections of Los Angeles County that's on the east side of the city, sort of. If you're from California, it's sort of between the valley and Anaheim. On your way out of L.A., it's sort of towards Riverside, which if, again, you're local, you know Riverside is a hot, steaming mess on its own. Um, and it works out in that vicinity of the area. Or I guess I should say worked out that way. So on that drive, he passed a cop who had been on the side of the road. He had stopped a woman and in which way he perceived the cop to be aggressive. Emmett then gave the cop the finger as he passed by. Oh, uh oh. For anyone who is thinking or suggesting that well, he shouldn't have done that, and he got what he deserved. Maybe he shouldn't have done that, but you know those flag stickers you have on your car and those 1776 army green shirts that you wear? Those made it so that somebody can give someone else the finger, including a cop, and it's not a crime, nor is a cause for arrest. You can say, well, it's stupid to do that to a cop. Maybe. A person shouldn't be a cop, however, if they can't handle someone giving them the middle finger. A person passing by in a moving car, not threatening violence, not even saying words, not wielding a weapon, simply waving their little fingy out the window at you is not a crime. What happened next is still yet to be verified in a court, but according to Emmett and his representation... This same cop, shortly after, begins to pursue Emmett. I don't want to throw this word around, but this seems slightly fascist. Yeah. You can't even just flip a cop. I don't want to say flip a cop off, but like. You you are allowed to. And the people who scream about their freedoms and, and about, you know, protecting all the patriots, all the, this is what that's supposed to mean. When did conservatives start liking cops? Because I saw a movie from the 1970s. It was called like it was a trucker movie. And then there was a scene in there where they were fighting cops. Well, I think it's mostly because 
they're more they're less likely to be affected by the cops because they don't experience prejudice. But when they are affected by the cops, i.e. January 6th, they hate cops all of a sudden and they beat them up. Yeah. Or like uh, the old age shooting when they can't let their yeah. kids in the school. Yeah, yeah. So this cop begins to, t- to, to tail Emmett. And not as in flashing his lights and demanding he pull over, but tailing him closely for blocks, intimidating him for, I, I don't know what a, a better word would be. This was a cop on somebody's bumper, not pulling them over, but following them every turn they make. Emmett was driving normally in his unassuming black sedan car. And as he continued to make turns, turns he was started to take out of his normal path because of the level of worry he was feeling that this cop was trying to follow him to his house. Uh, The cop acting so suspiciously that Emmett calls 911 while driving because he begins to get scared for his safety is not putting on his lights or doing anything that you would see in a normal cop procedure. So he calls 911. He wants to confirm it was a real cop and also didn't know what to do, even if it was a real cop, because the cop was acting erratically. What are you supposed to do if a cop is the threat? They tell you sometimes to call and ask for another officer to come, which has its own dangers. But that's not what happened here anyway. And this is a uh, an excerpt from really great reporting by a person named Carrie Blakinger of the L.A. Times. Hi, um, I'm being followed by a police car, he said in a recording shared with the Times. He told the dispatcher that the car was copying his turns but not pulling him over. He wanted to make sure it was a quote-unquote real police car and that he wasn't being stalked. The two kept talking and eventually the dispatcher said, What is it that you want us to do? If he hasn't pulled you over, he hasn't pulled you over. That is so scary. Yeah. I wouldn't know what to do. Like, no one's there to help. Mm-mm. So, and this is, by the way, just on a side note, probably not the way to handle this on the 911 side either. I understand probably the 911 operator was not there watching what's happening, but getting annoyed that somebody's scared about something is and just telling them to, like, fuck off is not really helpful in the situation, you know? They could have said maybe maybe there's some kind of training they can go through. I don't know what it would be, but it seems like they could say something like pull over to, you know, a um, a specific place and we'll send another officer. We'll like we'll stay on the line with you while the police comes over something. Yeah. So this call lasted about two minutes before Emmett becomes frustrated and hangs up on the 911 call. He decides instead to make his way to a 7-Eleven, which was located in the Glendale area of Los Angeles. Glendale's a nice area. It is, yeah. Um, At about 12.27 p.m. that day, Deputy Joseph Benza III (laughs) then pulls in behind Emmett's sedan, blocking it in. Emmett, having not been legally pulled over, instead being stalked by a cop car that made no indications that it was pulling Emmett over... He gets out of the car and begins to walk away from it towards the 7-Eleven front door. Within mere seconds, Deputy Benza approaches Emmett. We see the altercation play out that we just listened to. Someone had uploaded the footage with a timer, and thanks to them, we see it takes nine seconds from the time Joseph Benza exited his cop car until he grabs Emmett's arm 
and then four seconds from the time the cop grabs Emmett's arm until Emmett's face is slammed into the concrete. (sighs) Roughly 13 seconds. After not legally pulling him over, I began this talking about Emmett's identity. And there are reasons it's important. And there are reasons I wish I... It didn't have to be brought into the conversation, but it is relevant. Um, The reason that it's important is what happens after Emmett is arrested. So this initial altercation is not necessarily related to him being a trans man, right? Um, You just thought, like, some guy's flipping him off. I'll go body slam him. So the story continues. Yes. And one of the reasons I wish it wasn't needed to be brought up is because idiots in the public who don't want to read, who don't want to look further into this, will dismiss this as an SJW case without regarding any of the facts leading up to it or what the cops did after the arrest. I mean, it's, we should be talking about this because no matter how conservative you are, this could happen to you, too. Right. Because even though it is relevant that Emmett is a trans man because of what happens later, this is as far as this cop knew is just a young guy. Yeah. So a young white guy even. Can you yeah. believe it? He can um, slam young white conservative men. He, a cop could slam you on the ground, too. So hard for them to care about anyone but themselves. So you got to kind of put that into sometimes the kind of person's head. But even now, because of the thing, other things the cops did, we need to bring up that Emmett was trans, uh, is transgendered. Um, obviously, we can't gauge humanity from the comments section, uh, but a good 30% of them on social apps are mocking that the word transgender is even in the title, even though the initial stop isn't about that, and using their precious moments on this planet, misgendering the person who they never would have known was a trans man if not for the indication. Emmett has had surgery and has been taking hormones for years. Did this cop stop Emmett because they wanted to to discriminate against a trans person? Almost certainly not. The reason that Emmett was pulled over was not even clear until Emmett read the report after being processed to the jail system. All of this happened, according to the cop, because Emmett had an air freshener hanging from his rearview mirror. Oh, fuck off. This is a bullshit law that is on the books that gives cops free reign to pull someone over. It will be hard to convince me otherwise. I was pulled over for an air freshener on my rearview mirror when I was 16 or 17. Was it actually because I had a sticker on the back of my car that said, fuck you? (laughs) Absolutely. 100%. Not illegal, but cops don't like that. But they can't pull you over for it. They can pull you over, however, for having something dangling from your rearview mirror. That time when it happened to me, I was detained in a parking lot for hours as they searched my car first by hand, then by a drug dog. And man, did they think they had a slam dunk on their hands. Shit car covered in punk stickers all over it, car absolutely trashed on the inside, filled with garbage, reeking of 100,000 cigarettes. Not illegal. None of that's illegal. It's your right as an American to have a trash-filled car with cigarettes. It's true. And jokes on them, I didn't do drugs at the time, which is what they were trying to find, and they assumed by my appearance and stature (laughs) that I had drugs. I hope they were pissed they wasted their day that day. Anyway, the rule is fucking asinine, and... The fact that it's still used in 2023 on both ends of the country tells me it's code for cops to try to pull you over for something else. That is how I feel about it personally. That is my opinion on it. Um, So 
Do I think that Deputy Joseph Benza III wanted to pull Emmett over for an air freshener, which he didn't do, by the way. He didn't pull him over. He followed him with his lights off, intimidating him, and then slammed him to the ground in less than 15 seconds. That is so fucking scary. I'd rather you just put your lights on. I'll pull over. We can handle this. Yeah. I I, I done. This is what I what do I think happened here? This is what I think happened. OK. In my shitty big. Your big uh, idea. You know, my big ideas is that. Big, beefy deputy Joseph Benza III was berating a black woman on the side of the road. And when young, slight Emmett Brock put his fingy up, Joseph Benza's pee-pee felt sad. And that is simply unacceptable. Benza's rage for whatever happened that day or whatever happened in childhood or whatever happened at home the night before is now harnessed and is honing in on this little guy who dared to give him the finger. Not all trans men are small, but this one is on the slider side. And who does a small young man think he is for flipping off big, hulking Joseph Benza III? (laughs) That would just not do it all. I think the detective was seething the whole time he was behind Emmett, trying to decide if logic or emotions were going to win the fight that day. And when Emmett finally pulled over into a 7-Eleven, Benza said fuck it and got out ready to take down this little guy. Just with words, right? But when Emmett had the audacity not to cower immediately in Joseph's presence, it unleashed every instinct to hurt that likely drew him to being a cop in the first place. Maybe he didn't want to hurt people. I don't know. Maybe he was thinking that he could change the world for good when he became a cop. But then all these little fucks don't clap Every time that he walked into a room, and like he envisioned for himself, no, they give him the finger and they walk away from him like he's nothing. That will not do. That's what I think happened that day. And that is only speculation. But I think that it escalated because Detective Benza was pissed and then he got his emotions overtook him. And whenever Emmett turned his back... Benza got fucking angry and slammed his face into the concrete. God, I'm glad all these people with authority and guns don't have, like, emotional training, regulation training. They don't need to. They have they have guns. But they also are not trained very well to use. No. Well, so they also have tanks, which is fun in Los Angeles. Um, right. And meanwhile, there's, like, unhoused people, like, living in trailers everywhere. Great. Because we just don't have enough public funds. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, listen, that is... What I personally think happened on that day, and that is only speculation, there is a court hearing that's going to happen. We're going to talk about that, too, probably next week because we're getting long here. Um, And maybe I'll be proven wrong. Maybe Detective Deputy Benza, I'm sorry, Deputy Benza. The third, Natalie. The third. Maybe he has this whole other side of the story that we just simply don't know about. I don't know how because we've seen his body cam footage. We've seen 7-Eleven's footage. But... And we've read his report, which is inaccurate, by the way. We'll get into that next week as well. Um, But at this point, that is, in the words of the philosophers, mighty, mighty Boston's, (laughs) the impression that I get from what happened. Do you know, apparently, the singer Dickie Barrett of Mighty, Mighty Boston's is a conspiracy theorist now? And he made, he wrote a song for the presidential campaign of RFK. Really? <laughs> yeah. And apparently that's the reason the band broke up recently. Oh, my God. Well, you know, good for him. Yeah. Follow your dreams. Follow your heart. Follow your soul. Follow your loins. God, I don't have a car. And I know that's very scary in L.A. because I'm walking amongst the cars. But 
not getting pulled over is like... Or not getting not pulled over, but followed. Followed. And intimidated by a cop who then pushes your face into the ground if you don't immediately go, I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, please. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And we're going to talk about some of the stuff that Emmett was crying out during that altercation. If you feel like... You know, in between now and next week, want to look more into that case. You can also see it online. But um, yeah, trigger warning, major trigger warning. Yeah, it's really awful. Like it's off. Like it's the concrete. It's like ooh, and it is violent. That is an angry person. You can see it. That's immediately. He just ran up to him. Mm -hmm. Like there was no hands up. Yeah, to the point where Emmett barely had even turned his back. I would rather you flash your gun at me. Yeah, for real. Shoot me. Yeah. I mean, seriously, I mean, at least hold your gun out. Show uh, beyond just like taking somebody's face and for allegedly a fucking air freshener. And then body slam me into the concrete. This shit is disgusting. It's gross. So next week, we're going to talk about what happened after Emmett arrived to the holding station, what Deputy Benza wrote happened in his 11 page report and what Emmett's resulting actions were. We're also going to talk about cop gangs. Oh, God. And oh, boy. By the way, when I tell you, I tried for hours to find a picture of Deputy Benza. He is wiped off of the Internet. I know that there must be a place I can find pictures of him, but it it is difficult. I, I mean, I spent hours of my day. It makes you wonder if he's always hidden or if he paid for some kind of service like old Mitchell Taylor soldier spy button yeah. did after he and Dusty had that suit brought against them. I wonder. I mean, you can wipe things off the internet. Like, I distinctly remember when I was younger, I saw Beyonce, before she was famous, she was giving interviews on the red carpet for people. Like, was like, hi, so-and-so, what's your favorite color? Like, she was asking them. Yeah. And then the MTV went back to her house, and she's like, this is my house where I grew up. My mom makes me wake up at 4 a.m. and go running and then put on lashes and heels. And I don't really like it. Mama makes me do it, oh, though. God. And I've tried to find that footage wiped from the internet. Yeah. And I think it's because it's Beyonce's house. Like, you would have to have 24-hour armed security guards there if it was on the internet. So you can wipe stuff off. I imagine also they wouldn't want her saying how she didn't like to eat. <laughs> right. It's like, no, Beyonce, you've always loved this. You've always loved this. You begged your family. Um, so, yeah. No, I, I mean, that's definitely... I mean, we learned that about Mitchell Button, Taylor Spy. Yeah. Um, he... Uh, because I, I, I had people um, writing into us saying that they know that he had other stuff online. Yeah. And uh, also, I don't know, maybe we'll talk about more on the stream. I do want to bring up that very thoughtful letter we got from somebody who knew them without giving any information away. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk about that on the stream instead of now. But This is also um, scary because I see a lot of people that are pro-authoritarian. Like, we got to get all these scumbags off the subway and everything. And I'm like, when are they going to turn on you? Because you know they will. If you give someone utmost authority and power and no checks, they will turn on you. Of course. You'll be last, but they will. And it will be too late, sir. Also, I, I always question if they know what they mean by get rid of indicates that they just want them dead or gone because it's not usually somebody going, I want to help these people. It's somebody going, I don't want to look at them. Yeah. And so when people shit on like liberal cities for having tents and and unhoused people around, 
it's because they're not literally thrown into a wood chipper like you would like them to be. Right. So I'm so sorry that you have to be offended by that. And there's poor people in red states, too. I would say more <laughs> poor people. Yeah. Um, yes, for sure. I would like to help them, Natalie. I would, too. I would, too. Um, so, yeah, let's stop here. So we're just now rattling off. We're going off into many different directions. But I want to talk more about what happened with Emmett. And also, thank you for listening about Tuel and, and his story. Um, and Tuel's no longer with us? Well, we don't. This is what we talked about before. But, I mean, it, still missing, technically. You know. Holy so, shit. We don't. We always want to hold out. Yeah. To hope that they are somewhere alive, you know? Um, yeah, so let's just, uh, let's leave there and... This is edging, Natalie. <laughs> I want to know what happened. <laughs> You'll never be able to figure it out unless you tune in next week. No, please just go look as well for yourself. You don't ever have to wait for us to, to look up crimes. Uh, love you guys. We're Saucy Part and Greasy. You can find us someplace underneath. You can follow us um, also... Uh, if you want to watch us do uh, streams, you can follow us at twitch.tv backslash last podcast network. Follow me at the Natty Jean. Amber Smelson. Bye. Be good. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost.